Our scripture today comes from Ephesians 2. It's going to be only one verse, but I'm actually going to back up and reread the two verses that we had last week. So if we could stand, we're going to start with verse 8, Ephesians 2, and read verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one may boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the Holy Scripture of God from Him to you. Please be seated. You might not know it to look around in the community right now, but school has actually been back in session for over a month. It's really weird. We don't see all the, the, as many buses going around, but most of it's happening in homes across the city. And I know when we announced our kids and we said school's going to start up soon, there are some, there's some signs of despair in their face. They're like, no! You know, we're having such a great summer. And my eldest son, he was have, actually having a hard time with it. And Jeremiah came up to me. He's like, oh, dude, we have to start school again. He said, all I want to do is play video games and read all day. And I'm like, dude, that's what all of us want to do sometimes. And I, but I understand what he was saying. He looked, he looked at summer, and I mean, remember what summer was like as a kid where you just had no responsibilities and you could play, and it was fun. And we go, wow, well, when's the last time our lives were really like that? But what I was talking to him about, and we've tried to, to reiterate this with our children, is that it might sound good to be able to do whatever fun thing pops in your mind as long as you like to do it. But sooner or later, you would kind of start to get dissatisfied with it. You would find that there's this, this dissatisfaction growing inside of you, and you wouldn't know why. I said, listen, I told them, my grandparents, they retired. And I especially saw in, in some of my grandparents where all they did all day was just sit on recliners, and they watched TV, and that was all they did. And they weren't really happy. And I said, the reason why is because God didn't make us to live lives full of recreation. God made us to work. Work is where we find our satisfaction. Work is where we find part of our purpose in life. And when we cut that out of our life, we're cutting out something very vital about us. In 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul is writing to a church that actually has a big problem where many of its members decided that they were going to stop working. They were just going to stop working. The subtext going on was that Jesus Christ had been raised up into heaven. He said, I'm coming again soon. And they figured, well, that might be in a couple weeks. Why work? Why not just sit around? Why not just enjoy yourself? That sounds like a good time. So that's what they did. But that actually that lack of work started to create some severe problems in the church. And Paul wrote this. He wrote this to that church. He said, we hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire 
of doing good. Doing good, that's work. The picture here that Paul is, is sharing with us is a church full of, of lazy people who have so much time on their hands that they're just filling it up with arguments and trouble instead of being focused on the good work that Jesus Christ prepared for them to do. As the saying goes, we were made on purpose for a purpose. And that means we have responsibilities. It means we cannot sit on the sidelines of church. We can't just come in, hear God's Word, and not do anything about it. We are called to take action. We have responsibilities. And while it's important that we work, it's important because God also is a worker. We don't see God laying around in heaven. His primary work here is what Paul refers to in Ephesians 2.10 as we look at this very important verse today that follows up that key passage that we talked about last week. And his focus, Paul looks at, is the work that God has done. God calls us his handiwork, God's handiwork, or God's workmanship. But in the Greek, the word is poema. And that sounds a little, if you're listening, poema, what word do we get from poema? Poem. Poem is a making, a beautiful making. In Greek, poema means any sort of great creative work, a statue, a poem, a story, a piece of art. I like to think of poema as beautiful creation. Something that you create that's beautiful. You've made a lot of things that aren't beautiful. But when you make something beautiful, it is your poema. God as a creation, creator never seems to run out of beautiful creations, does he? We, never, we haven't stopped discovering beautiful creations around us. He fashioned the galaxies. He ordered physics and math to hold all things together, to give it structure. And then he laid out an array of plants and animals all across our planet. Everybody seems to have a favorite animal. My, my grandma's favorite animal was the owl, that she had owls all over. She was just fascinated with how beautiful they are. My mom, I think hers was duck. I don't know why. But we all seem to have a favorite animal, just a favorite creation that God made. But the Bible says that of all the creations that God made, all of them, there's only one that is his masterpiece. There is only one that God put himself, his image, into. Endowing himself into that creation. Above even the angels. In fact, in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. This is the description of this masterwork. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now I know we look at our bodies and we think we are a hot mess, full of parts that are just, you know, it's just, we're falling apart. You know, we don't look at ourselves in the mirror every morning and go, man, I am a masterpiece. If you've said that to yourself, it's probably not a good thing, right? It's a little bit of an ego. But when you really look at your body, when you study what God's made, it's hard not to be in awe of this creation. It's amazing. In fact, my book recommendation to you this week is a book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. It was written by Paul Brand. He is a missionary doctor who has spent a lot of his years in third world countries ministering mostly to people who have leprosy. 
You would think that a doctor who's up front with disease his whole life would be soured on the idea of of a human body, of just seeing the worst of what can happen. But instead, he wrote this book with story after story and fact after fact about how incredible our bodies are, how amazing they are that God put them together. In one chapter, he wrote, the brain, if you just look at the brain, the number of connections that go on in your brain all the time rival the stars and galaxies of our universe. It's how amazing it is. And yet, that's just your physical body. The creation of us, when God made us, His creation went beyond the physical to the spiritual, and He made your soul. That's where He implanted His image into you. I think if you had the spiritual eyes to see it, if you could look around every day and see people's souls as well as their bodies, you would never stop gawking because you would see God's image in every single person around you all day. You would see his handprint, his qualities, his attributes imbued into his creations. And you would just praise God nonstop. We are his masterpiece. So what does that mean for us? Where where does our responsibility lie when we are God's masterpiece? Well, first, we have to believe it. We're very good at looking at ourselves and seeing the worst and being very down on who we are and how we look and how we function and to the point where we go, you know, I'm just a mistake or I'm a mess or I'm something horrible. But instead, we need to look at Ephesians 2.10 and say, I am God's poema. I am God's masterpiece. I am his beautiful creation. We matter because we matter to God. We are beautiful because we are beautiful to God. You need to believe that. I was recently watching a science fiction movie with Justin Timberlake, of all people. I was watching this movie, and it was was this uh, science fiction movie about a dystopian future where only there was really a super rich cast and a super poor cast. There's no middle middle class anymore. And in this movie, uh, one of the really poor people lands in a bunch of money, and decides he's going to move up to the rich side. Moving on up, right? He moves on up to the rich side, and he wants to see how they live. He has all this money, and so he has this fun little montage where he goes on a shopping spree. And he goes, if you you land in a million dollars today, what are you going to do? You know, go right to the, the car dealership and buy yourself a really nice sports car. And that's what he does. He goes right there. He he has his eyes on this beautiful car, gets behind the wheel. He's like, oh, this is great. And he tells the car dealer, he says, I'll take it. And the car dealer says, very well, sir. Where do you want it delivered? He said, delivered? Why? He said, where are you going to display it? And there's just this quiet moment of realization. He realizes that in this super rich culture, these cars are just trophies. Just beautiful things that people put so that other people can admire their wealth and their status. But of course, he just grins and he drives it right off the lot. He wants to use that fun thing that he purchased. So when I tell you that you're God's masterpiece, maybe there's a voice inside of you thinking, well, God's just polishing me up so that he can put me on a mantle somewhere, so that I can just be admired but not actually used. And that's not 
the point Paul's making. I want to dis- disillusion you of that. Paul says we were definitely made on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is not to be a museum piece. God, Paul says, gives us a new life in Christ Jesus so that we may do the good work that he prepared for us to do a long time ago. Remember back in Ephesians 1, we talked about election. We talked about how before the beginning of the universe, way back in eternity, God had already chose the people he would call to him to be his sons and daughters. And part of that choosing, part of that process of choosing, God also was determining what his sons and daughters would do, what their purpose would be in this life. He laid it out meticulously. Well, that adoption, when we're called to be adopted sons and daughters, we're not called to move into God's house and lay around on his couch and watch TV all day. The Lord elected us to do his will. I find it deeply comforting to know that my life has a purpose. And I think all of us might. That God is not up there just scrambling to figure out what am I going to do with this Justin now? I mean, did you see? He turns to the angels. Did you see what he did yesterday? How am I going to work with with that guy? No, he's already planned out my whole life. He's meticulously planned out the works he wanted me to do. And when I realize that, I go, wow, I'm excited. I'm not a mistake. I'm not, I'm, God's not up there going, well, I had 30 good years planned for him. I don't know what's going to happen with the next 40 or 50, but, you know, whatever. He'll run out the clock. He goes, until the last moment of your life, he has a purpose for you. He has a plan. He has good works for you to do. And when we're elected, we get to participate in this work alongside Jesus Christ and all the saints. We get to share our purpose with others. It's also important to realize that the masterpiece that God created in you didn't end at the moment when you were born. It didn't end at the moment of your salvation. It's a continuing work that is only perfected when you go to heaven in glory. Paul spent this chapter so far, chapter 2 here in Ephesians, talking about our journey from a spiritual death and to life, that we're given new life. But then he goes on and says that journey continues as God refines you, as God makes you even better, as God pours over his masterpiece, chiseling off the sin, refining you, making you gorgeous. And he points to that life beyond in verse 10. Now, if you've ever had the, the privilege of taking a very small child to get a haircut, you know it is a struggle of epic proportions. That a very small kid is not like naturally wanting to sit there while somebody has something sharp next to their face or something that's buzzing, and then they start squirming, right? They're all squirming, and I, I feel so bad for hairstylists because they have to deal with little kids, and you know, one hand's here, and they're very carefully trying to cut hair, knowing that if that kid squirms a little too much, they're going to end up with a nice zigzag forehead and chunks of hair out the left and right. So we tell the kids, sit still. Sit still, because if you submit to the barber, they're going to be able to do something really great with their hair. But if you don't submit, it's just going to be a terrible tragedy on top of your head. And so it is with us. 
Our second responsibility as God's masterpiece is that we need to sit still and submit to God as He molds and shapes us. We need to not be struggling against Him. Pushing against, going, God, it's uncomfortable that you want me to get rid of this sin in my life, that you want me to change this, that you want me to conform to be more like you. When we push back against God, it's very uncomfortable for us. But rather, He's calling us to submit to His purpose so that He can start molding and shaping and designing us. And He's going to use a lot of things in your life to do that. He's going to use the Spirit. He's going to use His Word. He's going to use challenges in your life and struggles. He's going to use other Christians. He'll even use the proclaiming of His Word at church to shape you. So as God's masterpiece, if you, want, if you want to come out the best you can possibly be, submit to Him. Stop struggling. And just be, be part of that process rather than against Him. Now you might find it at this point really puzzling that we're spending this week talking about doing good works. When last week, we were talking about how Paul, Paul was actually attacking people who were too much enthralled with the idea of good works. The distinction here is this. If you still have your Bibles open, you look at verse 9, and we say that in verse 9, Paul makes the case that your good works do not have any say into whether or not you can be saved. He says your works do not factor into your salvation. But in verse 10, he says, out of your salvation flows good works in Christ Jesus. It's a different formula than the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church says faith plus works equals salvation. Protestants says faith equals salvation plus good works. It's very crucial to understand that. In fact, you can't read the Bible as truth and take the position that a Christian has any right to sit back and not to do things. We have a right to sit back and be lazy and selfish. Reminds me of the, the story of the two guys who were walking down the street and they saw a sign in a window of a store that said, No help wanted. And one guy said to the other guy, He said, You should apply. You'd be great for that. <laughs> no help wanted. That can't be us. Don't point at people. It's not good to do right now. <laughs> Don't point at yourself. Instead, Jesus urged us to do good works, to do good things. Conduct ourselves in a righteous manner. Luke 6.46, he tells people, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you do not do what I say? When you do not do those good works that I prepared for you. You can't call me Lord and then just sit back and not do these things. Are you doing what Jesus says? Are you doing what he says? Your calling as a Christian results in good works across your entire life. Part of that's in ministry. I don't know where your ministry may lie, but we're here to help you find it. I, you think a ministry is just a pastor? It's not. Just somebody who's doing music on Sunday? It's not. You can have and you are called to be part of the ministry of Jesus. And however that may come out, it's going to come out of your talents and your gifts and how God fashioned you to be. And if you're still struggling to figure out what that may be, that's what we're here to help you figure out. Talk to an elder. Talk to myself. Let us help you figure out where your ministry talents lie so that we can empower you to do ministry. 
But also part of those good works aren't just in your day-to-day life, in your activities, in your relationships, in your job. Everything you do, you can do for Jesus. You can do it excellently for him. Have you ever seen a picture of the Statue of Liberty from the top down, from a bird's eye view? What's really interesting is if you ever do this, look that up at home maybe, you might notice that on the top of, the, of Lady Liberty's head, there's an incredible amount of detail that goes in. And what's fascinating is when you consider when the statue was erected in 1886, somewhere around there, the sculptor knew that absolutely nobody but the birds would be able to see the top of that sculpture. I mean, airplanes were far off, balloons far off. People didn't just float over the Statue of Liberty. But he put the same care and dedication into crafting the top of her head that nobody would see that he did in the rest of the statue. He did excellence all the way down. And that's the kind of life that Christ Jesus is asking us to live. Not to serve him half-heartedly, serve him reluctantly, but to be excellent all the way down. So our third responsibility as God's masterpiece is to work for him in every single thing we do. Paul wrote in Colossians 3, whatever work you do, do it with all your heart. Do it for the Lord. Don't do it for men. Remember that you will get your reward from the Lord. He will give you what you should receive. You are working for the Lord Christ. That's your purpose. The church is here to help you figure that out, but we're here to do it together. What we do together as a church will matter for all eternity. So let's do it right. Let's do it great. You're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece who matters to God, who has a purpose in God, and who is called to do the good works of God. So instead of maybe living an empty life full of waiting around and aimlessness, you can live a new life that motivates you to do the best you can for the one who loves you most. Let us not be idle in doing good. Let's get out there this week and do the best we can for our Lord and Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we read Ephesians 2.8, this one verse has the power to both inspire and convict. And Lord, it inspires us because we see ourselves through your eyes. We see ourselves as not a mistake, not an anomaly, not something you botched, but rather, Lord, we are your masterpiece. We are special, and we are loved. And Lord, we are convicted that maybe sometimes we don't do the best we can do for you. Maybe we are too idle, or we've been putting off that step into ministry, or we've been neglecting you in parts of our lives, or maybe we've been going to work every day and and just putting in the bare minimum effort instead of being excellent for you. I pray that whatever we do, Lord, we're not doing it because we want to get praise from other people. We want to be recognized for our greatness, but Lord, just simply to make you happy, to do your good work because it will result in your kingdom growing. It will result in other people seeing how Christians walk the walk, how the gospel is living around them, that they'll be called to it. Lord, I pray for Knox Church that you would work powerfully in the many ministries that go on here, the very visible ones and the very small ones.
the ones that are behind the scenes, maybe ones that don't get as much praise and glory, but Lord, emptying a trash can for you is just as, just gets as much of a reward as proclaiming your word. And Lord, I pray that we remember that this week. And all God's people said, amen.